0: hello and welcome back to another episode of our one more glass of wine podcast today we are joined by our coo and winemaker mark Leroux. mark welcome back to the podcast
1: Thanks, Jeremy. It's good to be back.
0: Hey. I know last time our viewers really enjoyed uh, listening to you, or our listeners really enjoyed listening to you. You had a lot of great insights. We we're sitting in the beautiful barrel room. Sorry we've moved you a little bit out of your, your comfort zone. Um, but this new setup, I think it's stunning. We're getting really good clarity. Um, and I think the people really want to be able to hear exactly what you're saying.
1: Oh, well, it's always nice to share something, what what we do behind the scenes. A lot of people miss what we do behind the scenes and uh, for venue, actually sitting here is not a bad thing because this is actually where our product ends, so it is also an exciting part of the journey.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're seeing some layers and layers and layers of pallets and bottles of wine sitting here behind us. I mean, many vintages are lying in here. How many bottles, give or take, do you think are lying right behind us here?
1: Uh, to be honest, I actually, I'm not quite sure what's my us. going to guess. And, but I mean, you make it sound like it's unnecessary. It's definitely <laughs> all necessary. No, it's very necessary. Uh, having having wine unlabeled and aging is a very important um, part of wine before releasing. Um, and I think most of our, our more of our premium reds, we like to leave at least 12 to 18 months in the bottle before we even look at releasing the wine. So it does tend to build up and, um more than what you think, actually.
0: Okay, so a- actually an incredibly important part of winemaking is sitting right right to our right and left here. Hey?
1: Yeah, critical, because if you release a wine too early, you, it's, you're it's missing the true colours of what that wine could be. And um, you're purely buying the wine on a label and tasting it because of the label. You're actually missing the real pleasure of the product. And that's what we really want to get out, um, yeah. is what's inside the bottle.
0: Yeah, 100%. that. Still, earmark of quality. I love that. That we're sitting there with that. Speaking of quality, and speaking of wines, and our amazing wines, we've got an impeccable wine to drink today. This is something really special, hey. The Gem, two thousand and fourteen
1: vintage. I'm glad you're excited. Um, <laughs> it's always it's always fascinating to to open a bottle of Gem and always explain the story, and, and taste it and just you know always try and break it break it open and sort of try and explain what we what we do, why we blend it, what's important for the Gem. Um, because I think we ourselves are always trying to discover what we want to get out of the gem, how we want to create it. It continually redefines itself. Um, yeah, it's it's difficult. And I think when people also ask me what is a gem supposed to taste like, it's it's so difficult for me to answer that question. And I said gem just tastes like gem because it's so unique. It's it's about just understanding the the farm, the place. Um, and if you understand that you'll just it'll make sense. Uh, Cool. So we'll try and break it down as best as possible.
0: Fantastic. Well, could you break open this bottle for us then, please? I'm going to try my best. You try your best. (laughs) (laughs) So I love how you touched on, you know, tastes like the gem. I really think that uh, what you've kind of touched on there and started to to explain to the audience here is something that we like to refer to our wines. We call it fine wine. Yeah. So give us a a breach into what's fine wine. What do we, what do we, well, what's the definition (coughs) there?
1: Yeah, so I th- fine wine is really, I think, as soon as you start reaching a level of, of quality. And um, I think fine wine is probably the best example of creating a wine with a sense of place. Uh, you know, fine wine, I think, is made extremely naturally. Um, it really defines a sense of place. And I think with that, you capture the essence of pureness, of quality, clarity. Um, and a fine wine is, is not just about boldness. It's a, it's about a wine that's it can o- just answer everything when you taste it. It just You can just taste it. It's so difficult to explain <laughs> it now that you've put me on the spot. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to put you <laughs> on the spot there.
0: Um, I've heard uh, people referring to fine wine as a wine that you taste and it transports you back to the place of its origin. So what I'm expecting almost to taste when I open a bottle of gem is a little bit of the Haldberg, a little bit of the Waterford Flair, the Mark LaRue touch, the team here that always has a hand on how we make our wines, everything encapsulated in that bottle.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think that's quite um, specific to to Waterford. But I think just looking a little bit bigger, getting a bit outside the box, um, it also needs to tick the box for me as a South African wine. Um, You know, for me looking at South Africa, um, there's so much diversity. We've got everything in our country. There's, there's mountains, there's low-lying areas, our uh, soils. Um, even geologists struggles struggle to really <laughs> put names to the soil structures that we have on our farm. Um, the climate we've got from the tropics, From um, we've got snow caps, and then we've got uh, desert, we've got the boss. So I think for me... Uh, the first sense of South African in a wine is it's a blend, it's a blend of multiple varietals. It's got diversity within it. And I think when you taste the gem, you don't pick any one thing out immediately. It doesn't just stand out as an incredible fine wine Cabernet. It actually, it, you can taste there's Cabernet, but it doesn't really jump out the grass. You can taste the other things going on there. And I think that's exactly what South Africa is about. But going deeper than that, you, you talk about Helderberg. I think it screams Helderberg as well. It's, it's, truly sort of um, characteristic of the Halderberg mountain. You get that sort of real fresh um, backbone, which I find on the Halderberg being closest to the ocean. Okay. You know, the ocean really brings in freshness into our grapes. Um, we are north-facing, so it's very, very warm, very hot. Um, so you, you get sort of the most amount of richness and ripeness out of that as well. So you're getting intensity, um, you're getting those deep, rich tannins, you're getting ripeness. Um, but o- because this also starts early on in the season, we also generally pick quite early. So we, we don't tend to get very high alcohol levels. So, so it's a dynamic of getting a cool wine with good freshness, a lot of intensity and rich- richness, but we don't get the alcohol because we're picking before the real heat. So, so that you're all getting from our sense of place on, on the Haldeberg from Waterford. Um, earthiness is a very strong characteristic on the Haldeberg, that strong sort of graphite, the stony... Um, feel that you get in our wines. We're not fruit bombs. We don't have um, excessive clay in our soil. There's some clay, but not excessive clay. So yeah, Okay. I've answered some of the questions. well, well,
0: Well, no, I just think it's so interesting how everything has an incredibly profound effect on how the wine actually comes out and how our place is such an important part on that. So I just want to talk a little bit about harvest and how we actually build up Towards growing the quality grapes. I mean, you can't make great wine without growing great, great grapes. Mm. So, how do we start our season? When does season start? Let's walk through the whole harvest kind of timeline.
1: Yeah. So, so vineyards. You know, I think a lot of people think um, a harvest is uh, sort of considered in one year, one vintage, and vineyards actually work in at least a, a three-year cycle. So, what's happening this year is actually going to affect the 2026 vintage. Um, so, we don't really understand that until until you think back and you realize, gee, three years ago was serious drought. That's why we've got a very low crop this year, maybe. Just as an example, I'm just saying. Oh, it right interesting. There. Okay. So there three years of, of, of a bud that's busy growing. So the, what I'm saying is the bud that's going to shoot the vine that gives the grapes for 2026 is already being established this year. Um, wow. So, so it's actually, we're already creating those vintages ahead of time. So we need to consider that. So if we have let's say, fires or or anything that's going to affect next year's harvest and the year after. But obviously, the the current vintage is the most influential. So, David outside um, in the vineyards would start sort of pruning, looking at end of July, August uh, at pruning. And this is really the the start of harvest. Um, I could even take it a little bit further back, actually. So, from, from the end of the previous vintage, as soon as you harvest the previous vintage's grapes, it's very important to actually build a reserve for your next harvest. So as soon as you've picked your grapes, you want to get your vines almost growing again, get those leaves active so that they can start photosynthesizing and generating reserves for the roots before going into winter. Because as soon as it gets too cold, then you're not generating any roots. Because when your vines start budding after pruning, there needs to be energy and the energy can only come from the roots because you don't have leaves to generate
0: growth. Okay, I see. So wow, it's got such a roll-on effect, you actually have to be so attentive. It's,
1: it's not just right now, it's yeah. about years and years and that's why, you know, vineyards are really, it's its consistency, it's what you do on a day-to-day basis. It's no one action that's going to make you an incredible wine, it's about every day's dedication, every right. day, consistency every Consistency and um, looking after everything. Yes. Yeah, so the, the actual year, it's it's eight months of what you're doing in the vineyards. Um, so it stretches it out a lot in the vineyards. Things happen a little bit quicker in the cellar because mm-hmm. fermentation's a lot quicker and things move a lot faster. So um, that's why our hours are a lot longer for about three, four months of the year.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've seen you guys work really, really hard <laughs> burning the midnight oil as well. Um, and when we're now growing, the grapes are growing, um, we're actually looking at, what, end of December coming into January, are you really looking at certain blocks, certain vineyards, certain varietals and going, oh, we're going to put that in this vintage coming up at the gem. you have already looked at the, well, the previous winter, how mm. the summer is shaping up. You already kind of have an idea of what's going on?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's always sitting on the back of your mind of how we're, gonna ha- how we're going to attack this year's blend. Because um, I suppose I have a methodical process of, of blending, but I mean, it, the result's always different. So anyone's got an equal chance every year. And, and it's relatively blind, so I'm not, I'm not very favorite or I'm not favoriting any one vineyard. So December is a very good uh, point of judgment in a sense that your, your vineyards are almost fully grown in the sense of the length of your shoots, you, you stop growing um, vegetatively. So basically your leaves and things stop growing and actually the concentration starts moving towards the bunches. So you get an understanding of density of your canopy, how healthy your canopy is and um, also, by then, your bunches are pretty well formed and you can see the size of the berries. Um, nothing much changes from then onwards. So you get a very good estimation of crop size, how much you're carrying, what it looks, what it looks like. Um, so already, you know, so okay. looking at this year's vintage Cabernet Franc from the beginning was just looking amazing, amazing. And uh, in the cellar currently, the, the Cab Franc's almost finished uh, with fermentation. And it is positively very good. So okay. uh,
0: Have you seen Cabernet Franc looking this good uh, in previous years?
1: I, I'm really trying. I, I don't think I've ever seen it look this good. To be oh, really honest, I, that's I think really that probably in 14 years. This must be the best. Oh wow, that's uh, really exciting. I'm not quite sure how attention, how much attention I was paying my first two years of what the Cabernet <laughs> Franc looked like. But I mean, let's call it 12 years. It's okay. definitely looking the best. Yeah.
0: Okay, fantastic. So, let's talk about this current, well, this vintage here, we're on mm-hmm. 2014 drinking in this glass. Obviously Cabernet is its backbone. We always sit with Cabernet as the backbone of the gem. And then we, mm-hmm. what I've heard you say, we layer other varietals on there. So talk us through the, the backbone and the layering process.
1: Yeah, so looking looking at the gem, the idea is if even if we if we look at the the label, it's it's really a simple photograph of the entrance of our winery with the vineyards in the background. And I think when you talk about fine wine being a sense of place, the label sh- sort of shouts out: this is a wine from this building and these vineyards behind me. So when you say we want it to be cabernet and then layered, it's it's not because we wanted that. It's because what we felt, the building and the vineyards behind it actually chose that blend. So oh, wow. So our, our vineyards are by far um, preferred to Cabernet Sauvignon. Our soils are just suited to Cabernet Sauvignon. So that has formed the backbone of what the gem is. Um, and because we understand that and because we know that, that that's our leading varietal that we pick. And then from there to create the, the gem, you know, a fine wine needs to be fine in every essence from a balance and flavor and fruit and spice it needs to all just make sense it just needs to fall into place so by building that I always feel you know if I create the best possible wine with the components I have in front of me from this farm we're going to naturally make an incredible fine wine from this properties and we will naturally get a blend of seven, eight, nine varietals so wow. I'm <laughs> I'm never pushing to get eight or nine varietals it just that's what it takes just lands up it just, becoming that Yeah, that's what it takes to create that to fill all those blocks to get the fine wine in it Um, so Cabernet is where I start I form the base it's the most important blend Um, even though it's just one varietal it's still sort of a blend and a sort of a put together and then from there, it's filling in those, those gaps and so we're taking it from a, a, a super premium wine into a fine wine glass and that's what we're creating. <laughs> that's
0: incredible. <laughs> that is in, incredible. So it, does vintage specific, obviously, I mean, some years are warmer, some years are colder. How does that affect what you're going to put into the jam?
1: Yeah, so so again, it does it does sit a little bit on the back of my mind when mm. we are warmer. So what what I've sort of learned, especially about six weeks before before picking, um, you know, I think that those weather conditions are extremely influential on what the the grape or the wine is going to end up like. So we pick Chardonnay generally at the end of January. So I know the latter end of December, if that's extremely hot, I'm concerned for acidity in Chardonnay. Um, then if I'm looking at January, if that's extremely warm, then I'm starting to get concerned for uh, acidity and freshness in the early ripening reds and, and this going on for the others as well. So I think that period sort of four to six weeks prior to picking is very important and very crucial for me to sort of get an earmark of of where those varietals are going to swing, whether fresh or not. So, but when it comes to, to blending, you know, we've got such an amazing um, sort of set of tools through these varietals we've got especially the Italian varietals which have an amazing um, acidity level and freshness Uh, regardless of if it's a super hot vintage they're always going to bring freshness they're always going to bring brightness and lightness so they're always going to be there whether it's a hot or cool vintage Um, and then if you're looking for maybe more uh, dryness if if a warmer gain uh, it takes away that real classical tannin structure the dryness the pencil shaving um, you know, some of that old classical uh, feel that you get on a, on a red wine. So those, those tools are there. Um, Cab Frank brings in a l- lot of that dryness, a uh, lot of freshness as well. Um, so Cabernet doesn't always like to get too much heat. So The tools are there, the tools, the tools are, there are there and you can use them. And, and again, it's just looking at the tools in front of you and creating a wine um, that it just is a fine wine.
0: No, fantastic. So what I'm hearing is there's going to be a decent percentage of Cabernet Franc in the 23 vintage of the Jeep.
1: I think so. Well, listen, when when one single varietal really stands out as a completeness, um, that alone generally builds up its percentage in the blend because it's not just adding um, its necessity to the blend. It's also adding so much purity and power because it's just such a good wine. Um, So if Cab Franc's really good, I tend to find it does push it up by another 4-5% than what I would have normally used it or, um, you know, Shiraz is really good, it goes up by about 4-5%, you know, if another varietal maybe not as performing it comes down. So that okay. works itself little It's out a very a fluid
0: bit. kind of winemaking ideal. Very fair.
1: Okay,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, let's actually talk about what's in the glass. What are we tasting? What are we smelling? How does the mm. structure of the wine? What are you, mm. what are you noting here most?
1: Yeah, so this this is the two thousand and fourteen that you've you've pulled out for us to to taste. Uh, what mm-hmm. I remember from from twenty fourteen, just going back to a lot of what we've been talking mm-hmm. about now, is it, it was a relatively warm vintage, um, but I mean a, a really good wet winter before, so vineyards were extremely happy. Um, they pushed out a lot of fruit, and there was a lot of good weather during summer to really get that growth. Happening, So it pushed out a lot of leaves, there was a lot of energy, the factory was big, it could look after all the fruit. Um, so it was a big vintage for one, um, but also a warm vintage. So again, uh, a vintage that has a lot of, I think, um, expressiveness, there's a lot of sort of softness. Um, I think the one word that really sticks in my mind about the 2014 vintage, and I think I've had the same comment on many red wines from this vintage, is almost velvety. Like I, I find the tannous, the yeah. structure of 2014 wines, it's got that soft velvetiness. Um, very luxurious, um, I think aromatic wise, it's, it's, it's got a lot of spice. I think there's a lot of sort of that cinnamon, the rich red fruit, Almost, I'd love to know exactly how much Sangiovese we blended in here because I've got a feeling there was quite a bit of Sangio. I've got that Sangio sort of cinnamon red fruit spice um, that's sticking out. Maybe also now that it's aged a little bit, that the Sangio is really pulling this wine or or keeping it going a little bit further. So uh, very cool.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong here. This is around about um, your first vintage of having your kind of stamp on the Waterford Wines, isn't it?
1: So this is actually my very first gem that I- produced I'm so glad we pulled out the 2014 vintage. Yeah, <laughs> by myself, yeah. So this yeah. Is, this is my first gem that, that I produced um, as, as sort of head winemaker.
0: Yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, let's jump in a time machine. Take us back to <laughs> 2014 Mark LaRue. How is it being in the cellar? How is it putting this wine mm. together? Lots of pressure?
1: Yeah. Uh, It was, I think, you know, um, but I mean, it also, it also gave you a little bit of extra oomph, you know, a little Mm. bit of extra energy, um, a a few more extra hours, uh, (laughs) it took an extra two months to make the blend. (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, I I must admit, uh, we're going to jump ahead, you've nailed it, this is a beautiful wine.
1: Yeah, so it it was, you do sort of um, overthink yourself, you throw every option out there and, um, you know, at some point you also need to commit, which I think is really difficult, so... But I mean, it, it, it was a, a great vintage, it was a big vintage, so it, it was a hard-working vintage. Um, but I mean, it had a good team that year as well, so that, that did help. And yeah, just glad it made it work. And so. <laughs>
0: well, I, I definitely think your hand is, is from a very beginning of your wine industry, you've been very talented, I think you've always made incredible wines. <laughs> Are you seeing cra- your crafting of the Gem blend getting better and better as you go on?
1: I think um, yes, I, th- I think so. Mm-hmm. I think obviously so. Yeah, yeah. You like become a bit so. more experienced. Yeah, so I think uh, you know in the wine industry, I think you you can't under underestimate what experience does because you know every year is so different. And as we we're chatting earlier, you know vineyards are working in a three four year cycle, so you know only once you've gone past one cycle in a vineyard can you and you really start understanding what's going on. And I think I uh, look at a wine. You know, we're tasting the twenty fourteen my first gem so it's taken a long time to learn the results and only now um now that this one is 10 years old can I make adjustments and think maybe we need a little more of this and now it's another 10 years before I really see what that adjustment is doing so it's a very slow process very slow learning curve um and um, I think you just learn every day and you just, I suppose, just be humble and, and just try and look at it every day and just do small adjustments. That's also something that I've learned in the wine industry. Don't try and shape the world in one day. Um, just do little, little things um, at a time and just okay. keep tweaking it. Cool.
0: So, I mean, this wine is quite a romantic wine. It's a wine you pull out at special occasions. When have you pulled the gem out that you would go that there is is an occasion that we nail
1: to drink this wine in? You say a special occasion. I've actually pulled it out, not even on my birthday, just on a normal <laughs> like weekday <laughs> sometimes. But I, I realize I am spoiled. Um, I'm trying to think of some special occasion. I've, uh, yeah, I've opened it, I think, at uh, numerous birthday parties or, or birthdays of, of really good mm. friends of mine, of my parents. Um, what a spoil, hey? Yeah, so that's it's always I think memorable, and I think that's a lot of what your good bottles of wine for is sharing it with with people that that matter in your life, um, and I think that's why good wine is there is to is to share and to open. Why do you want to store it forever and ever? <laughs> yes, you should store it. And yes, you should age yes, you your because that wine. is exciting. But yeah. I mean, um, it's it's also there to to be consumed, and that's part of the enjoyment. That's the other half of the enjoyment. So for sure. I'll think of another one just now. No, that's cool. I've got
0: (laughs) got one more question for you, Mark. Um, If you could drink a bottle of jam with anyone in history, who would you pull this bottle of jam out for? Anyone. Anyone whatsoever. A winemaker that you're going, that's the guy I'd love to sit down and have a glass of wine with, a sports person, an artist, anyone. Who could you pull this bottle of jam out for?
1: Um... Jeepers! Now I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I'd. I suppose it would be just, just fun to open it with maybe a, a really famous sports star or uh, a president or like what. But sure. I think I think um, probably being a little bit more selfish, I would look at someone that's maybe really been an icon in the in the wine industry because I'd ask them for comments. Oh, for uh, well, sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what do you think of the wine? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's more what I'd be wanting to get oh, out of okay. them, um, and sort of learn from them. And, you know, uh, yeah, I can't think of the names right now, but I mean, I suppose, uh, you know.
0: Um, uh, well, I mean, I, I love how you say you'd, you'd want to drink it for someone who could almost critique mm. your work. Um, I think it shows yeah. that you're always trying to get better. You're always trying to improve. That's really, really, that is, uh, that's amazing.
1: Well, it's awesome to improve, but it's also nice to hear what what other people in the world, it, it, they're making fine wines in their country. Um, old guy that makes Tignanella, I can't think of his name. But anyway, <laughs> um, they you know, just they're making fine wines in their country and they have their vision and they're doing the best of what they can in their property, their identity, exactly what we're doing here. So... I would like to hear how, how do they think of someone else's fine wine uh, from their country. So.
0: For sure. That's incredible. Mark, so tell us what's your favorite part about harvest season?
1: Harvest season. Um, to be really honest, it's actually just before harvest starts. <laughs> um, it's almost December holiday, so <laughs> yeah, okay, before uh, the storm. Everyone's gone and I like to hang around the cellar, around the vineyards. So it's actually generally walking around the vineyards with family and... Sort of trying to suss out where the vintage is going. What are we looking like? Who are we going to pick first? Who's going to be picked last? Um, so it's more like a, a casual, relaxed time of walking through the cellar because uh, the vineyards. Because once once harvest starts, the walking through the vineyards becomes very quick, very rushed, <laughs> yes. and um, yeah. So I think that's a very nice, relaxed time of the harvest. Season. Cool.
0: So teamwork is obviously incredibly important in anything that you're doing, how important is your team working together in the cellar? And how does that translate to how these grapes work together, mm. these varietals work together as a team in the gym?
1: Yeah, I think it's extremely important because uh, no one person can make all the wine by himself. So it's, it's definitely a collaborative uh, one person needs to hold that one side of the hose. The other guy needs to be on the other side of holding the tank. The one needs to be on the top of the tank. <laughs> So it's the collective together that that makes the wine work. And I think uh, this also relates to the blend and the varietals. You know, it's everyone complementing each other. Um, and I suppose it, there is a bit of a hierarchiness. Um, you've got a sort of different levels on, you've got people that have been in the cellar for 10 years and then you've got your interns that have literally just walked in. But I mean, we're all equally important. We all have uh, a role to play, and at the end of the day, we we're making incredible fine wine,
0: and we're all important. Alrighty. So the gem is a collectible. It is a collector's item. How do you recommend people store it? How do you? Or why would? Why should people collect this wine?
1: Yeah. So the gem, I think, is it's an iconic wine. It's it's the first of its kind to be a blend of eight different varietals. Um, and not just uh, locally in, in South Africa, but I mean internationally as well. Taking this wine overseas, abroad, to, to the States, to Europe. Um, we are blending varietals that no other country in the world even thought of doing. So the uniqueness alone is, is something worth um, storing and showcasing and, and just having it in your cellar to, you know, to showcase to people of something that's incredibly unique that's coming from South Africa. I think another point is South Africa's. I think turning out some really, really uh, top quality wines at the moment, and, and uh, I would like to say that the, the gem is definitely in the top list of of showcasing definitely South African agree on that fine one. Wine, so,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you've got an incredible assistant, Jamie. What's mm-hmm. it like working alongside with her?
1: Uh, She keeps me sane. Um, She keeps you sane? (laughs) I can be incredibly difficult. um, And I think she can also be. So I think uh, we help each other not to be so stubborn, Um, (laughs) especially with everyone else we work with. Um, She's incredible. And um, she's actually just become a mother a few months ago. Uh, So she's been away from the cellar for, for about four or five months, but rolled in January just before harvest. And steamrolled as if she hasn't left so it's oh, it's been amazing. incredible she's come out firing and i, I was semi prepping for uh, a half day job that she wanted but i mean <laughs> she's really come out and she's enthusiastic and it's almost like she's reborn and and wants to really get stuck in um so it's been great she's super hard working um dedicated she's she really wants to get things accurate and right and i think we we complement each other and help each other out uh, tremendously, which is which is great working with her.
0: I think that's it's so important to work so well with someone who works so in line with what you're doing, someone you can trust. And everything like that. I mean, I saw her the other day jumping into a tank to shovel it out. I think that's <laughs> incredible. She doesn't mind getting yeah. her hands
1: and feet dirty. Hey? Yeah, and you don't even have to ask her. She's already halfway <laughs> in before you're trying to find someone who's going in. So, <laughs> so sometimes we have to fight you know, who's going to get in first. So, oh, um, that is so cool. Because I also enjoy doing it. but I. <laughs> so <laughs> Sometimes she's just in first. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, no, she's great. Um, I can't ask for anyone better to, to sort of help me out.
0: Well, Mark, thank you for the chat. Thank you for joining us on the podcast again. I'm so glad that we got to open up this wine and also your first vintage and to be able to drink this particular vintage on the podcast with you. So thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. It was yeah. nice sharing it yeah. with you. Thank you for coming. Yes. <laughs>